What I'm talking about is Jesus wants to get at the root. Jesus wants to deal with the real problem. Her problem was not that she didn't have friends and she was broke. Her problem was that there was a ramification of the fall at work in her life that was keeping her from her proper place as a child of God. Thank you for listening to Sozo Church in Spokane, Washington. For more information on Sozo Church, visit sozospokane.com. just as excited about the eternity that I do have to look forward to, but I am just as excited about the fact that that kingdom and that reality, the heart of God is that that would become just as real here as it is there. That's why he told us, come on, to pray that way. On earth as it is in heaven. This is Sozo Church. I want to just kind of shine a spotlight for us on the season that we're in as a church. Um, I believe the season that we're in is a season where we are experiencing a a reaping from the sowing that we've done as a church, a a harvest from from the planting. What I mean by that is God brought us together, and when we we came together, we, we had this thing that we said a lot. We don't say it as much anymore because now that we're together, we're just focusing on the fact that we're together and loving life together, amen? But we said something a lot when we first uh, started down this road, and it was, we're better together. For those of you who are unaware, I don't want to get into it too much just because there's somewhere else we're going, but, but that what you are experiencing today is a merging of, of what used to be two churches and is now one church. And, and when we came together, we said, we're coming together because we believe that God has told us that we're better together than we are separate. And hopefully, those of you who are part of either separate would, would say amen to the fact that we are better now together than we were separate. And, and so in coming together, though, we didn't come together because we thought we'd be better for ourselves together. I know that might sound a little bit rude to some of us, but I mean, I, I think we could have just as happily lived separately if all we were focused on was ourselves. You know, I... I to, to use the, the verbiage that we used back then, it's like marriage. You know, when, when you are safe and secure and whole in Christ, I'm talking to some single people here, you can remain single forever. But there comes a point where you go, you know what, I think God has called me to something more. Hello. And so I'm going to marry somebody so that something can be produced from it. Get a little PG-13 here. So that we can have children. When my wife and I were married and through our marriage have, has come three wonderful, amazing children part of why God ordained marriage. Amen? Understand this? Go forth, be fruitful, and multiply. I remember I was a part of a wedding ceremony, and uh, the, the, the young people were getting married, and they, were, they had been interns in our church, and, and I'd been their intern director, so I was a part of, of the ceremony. They had all these mentors in their life, so it was like the, the, the revolving door of people officiating the, the marriage. And I, and I was up there for while they were doing their vows, and literally the husband said, oh, I'm marrying you so that we can fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply. I was like, oh my gosh. <laughs> Dude, bro, that's not the time to say that. Save it for later. Um, But we believe in our coming together, amen, that that God wants those that are far from him to be brought near to him. That's why we came together. We are better together than we are separate. God wanted to produce something, and I believe we're seeing the harvest of that. And, and, 
And why I bring that up is because I believe that in seasons of harvest, we should be sowing. Don't worry, this isn't an offering message. Calm down. People are like grabbing your wallet all of a sudden. I'm not not talking about just financial giving, though certainly this is a good place to financially sow. This is a healthy place to do that. We're, 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 We're under an eldership, we're under a stewardship board, we're serving the purposes of God, we're preaching the gospel. It's a good, healthy, safe place to sow, but that financially, but that's that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is that in seasons of harvest, the wise thing to do is to be sowing, because if you don't sow in seasons of harvest, then all you'll have is a season of harvest. I, I spent a lot of time on, um, on my grandpa's farm. My, my, my grandpa, his whole career was, was a farmer. It's what he did. He, he grew up on a farm. He lived his whole life on a farm, and, and he was a farmer. And so my mom um, had a whole mess of kids. So in the summer, she did the wise thing and sent us all away to live with somebody else. And uh, we would spend our summers on the farm. It was a farm uh, just outside Spokane here in St. John. She'd ship us up, and we'd spend a few weeks there, and We'd, we'd be there, and I, and I remember some summer seasons being there, depending on what time of year we would come up, being there during harvest. And I remember being confused because my grandpa would take part of the harvest, and he wouldn't take it to go sell it. He would take it to store it so he could sow it. And I remember him explaining to me as a, as a really little kid, saying, well, if I don't put this aside, I'll make more money right now. Hello, I'll have more now, but I won't have anything come next year. In a year, I'll have nothing so what I'm trying to tell us is this, that in this season of, of seeing great uh, uh, reward and return on what we've invested, that should be motivation for us to continue to invest, continue to step out, continue to respond in obedience so that in the next season, come on, in the next season, there can still be great harvest and fruit. Take something uh, beyond now to, to be willing to sow, though. You have to have a vision for something beyond just this season. Really, in a lot of ways, sowing, I imagine for the first people that, that kind of discovered this idea as they were trying to explain it to other people was probably a little confusing. Take the food that you need to survive and bury it in the dirt. What? Yeah, yeah I know you need it to survive right now, but if you'll take it and you'll bury it in the dirt, And then, you know, the water you need to survive? Yeah, take some of that and pour it on it, on the dirt. Yeah, on the dirt. Why? Well, because in a long, long time, you'll have more. If I take what I need to survive and I plant it in the ground and I pour the water that I need to survive onto the dirt, it'll grow and I'll have something later than on the... It doesn't make any sense, but if you can see beyond just where you're at now you'll understand that sometimes you're required to do things that position and prepare you to have provision in the next season. Some of the things that we're doing and some of the things that we need to do are are, are shifts that we need to make now so that we can be prepared and positioned for the next thing that God wants us to do. Or is anybody with me this morning? Are you all still in a coma from your turkey? Okay. What I need us to understand though is this. Our behavior individually will, return, will determine our response corporately. See, I can stand up here all day long and talk to us about our need to reposition and our need to restructure and our need to do something different than what we're doing now so that we can receive something different than what we're getting now and so that we can continue to progress and move forward and continue to fulfill the mandate and the purpose that God has given us as a church to do. But I can stand up here and talk about it all day long, but if we don't respond, hello, somebody, 
Jesus can command us all we want, but if we don't respond in obedience, it doesn't matter. I've used the analogy before. It was, I stole it from a buddy of mine. He's, he's a church planner down in Texas. And he said, I, I feel like in my planning meetings, and he's in the pre-launch stage. He said, I feel like in my pre-launch meetings, I, I get up and I talk about what we need to do. And I sort of feel like a quarterback who, who, who gathers his team around and he, 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 he tells them the play we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. We're gonna go over here. We're gonna go over there. We're gonna throw the, I think you throw footballs. You throw the football and we're gonna do this. We're gonna run there. And he says, sometimes I feel like I do that and everybody goes, break, and they run back to the sidelines. Man, that was a great play. You called a great play. I'm gonna podcast that play. I'm gonna get my friends to listen to that play. That was a, you, you called that play better than anybody in town calls plays. But he said, if we're not gonna run the play, we're not gonna score the goal. If we, don't, if we don't do it, come on, somebody, if we're not gonna respond, nothing's gonna happen. So I can stand up here and talk about this all I want, but if we don't respond, nothing's gonna happen. So in order to do that, I wanna turn our attention to the word. It's a good thing, right? Mark chapter five, we're gonna go to the most beautifully named book in the Bible. (laughs) Mark chapter five. Mark chapter five, verse 25. Mark 5.25, if you have a flat screen and you want to change it, we read out of the ESV here most of the time. Um, It'll be easier to follow along. Uh, If you have one of these printed Bibles, you can't change the translation you bought it in. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. It says, and there was a woman. Stop, pause, have to stop. And... So I'm, I'm gonna do my best to try to read through this and then we need to pray. But, but before we get here, I, I need us to understand that, that and means and in this, in this passage. What I'm trying to say is that this story interrupts another story. Jesus was on his way to do something else. He was on his way actually in, in response to a man's request to go heal his sick daughter. And this story is kind of inserted in the midst of all of this. And I believe it's important for us to understand that because I think that the purpose of this story being interjected in the midst of all of this is God trying to show us that sometimes what he wants to do interrupts what we think he's doing. We can have the, the sense of the story, really, even in, in the way that uh, the, the translators have in, inserted headers in this story, there's no way to, to, to separate these two stories, the, the story of Jesus going to heal a man's daughter and the story of this woman being healed. They, they can't really be separated because they're, they're sealed together. Sometimes what God wants to do in you, hello somebody, is wrapped up in what God is doing in the grander, bigger picture. And if we try to remove his personal working in us from his corporate working through us, we miss the whole point. See, God is not looking to do something corporately at the expense of doing something personally in you. But rather, he's wanting to do something in you so that he can do something corporately through us. Mark chapter 5, verse 25. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered. She'd suffered much under many physicians, had had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard, catch that please, highlight, underline, circle, do whatever you gotta do. She had heard the report about Jesus 
and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. Everybody highlight, circle, underline, made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you you see the crowd pressing around you and yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, daughter, your faith, highlight, circle, underline, bold, your faith has made you well. Same word, well, as she said she would be made well. He uses the same word, you've been made well. So he tells her, go in peace and be healed of your disease. Let's pray this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you that you have in yourself not only the power to heal us, but the desire to heal us. You have not only the ability to heal your people, but you have an affection for your people that leads you to position us and position yourself in relationship to us for us to receive from you. And so God, this morning, I I wanna just ask even, even now, even in this moment, God, that you would enable us to be positioned, that, that, that our hearts would be, would be prepared and, and ready. Even, even if they, they weren't before this moment, God, we ask that, that by your grace and by your spirit, you would prepare our hearts, enable our hearts, God, to receive what it is that you would say to us this morning. Lord, I, I don't quite understand how it is that you seem to so consistently and so faithfully speak to us individually in the context of a gathering like this, but I've seen you do it so so powerfully and so constantly. And I'm asking that in the midst of a, of a, of a room of people, you would speak to individual hearts. But in everything that's being said today, we, we wouldn't just hear the words, but we would hear you speaking to us. Lord, give, give me the ability in the, in the context of all of this to hear you speak and to respond to you. Lord, let us hear you. Let us receive what it is that you say. And God, let us be obedient to what it is you say, being transformed by the grace and the faith that comes through hearing, that you might be glorified and honored in all things. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. amen. Uh, so this morning, I want to just walk us through uh, this passage, if we could. Just, just kind of walk through quite simply, do a, a simple little Bible study together, and just, just look at kind of what's going on in this text. Um, first thing that I, I'm just personally profoundly uh, struck by is that in just two verses, we learn so much about this woman. 
In two verses, we, we learn a, a host about her situation, her emotional state, and all sorts of other things. So I'm just going to draw a few quick, simple things real fast that we can understand. Just three things from these two verses. One, we see that she had an, she had an issue of bleeding, that this issue had gone on for 12 years. That she had, she had been in this position, not just a little while, but for quite a while. That this, this circumstance that she was in caused her suffering. Now, I believe that was put there because God knew dudes would be reading the Bible. Women wouldn't need us to say that she was suffering. They, they, they would understand quite simply, just, just simply the Bible saying this woman had an issue of bleeding for 12 years. Women are like, yep, that sucks. Dudes are like, okay, whatever. No, no, she was suffering. This was a problem. Oh, okay, thanks. She was suffering. What we might miss, though, is that she was suffering in ways that we might not understand. It lets us know that she was obviously emotionally suffering. If you've ever gone through perpetual, constant, nagging pain or, 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 or difficult circumstances for a long amount of time, you understand the emotional wear that it can have on you. If you've ever had chronic pain in your body, you know the kind of just emotionally draining suffering can be on your body. So she had emotional problems. She had emotional suffering. She had physical, obviously there's physical issues going on here, but what we may miss is that she also had social issues. According to the law that she lived under, she was not allowed to leave her house. Understand that her leaving and going into this crowd was her breaking the law. We're going to get to the, the purpose of that and, and why that's so important for us here in a minute, but understand that, that, that she was considered unclean by no act of her own, by any, nothing that, well, there's no evidence here that she did anything to cause this, but she was still considered unclean by her culture in that day. She would, not only was she unclean, but her uncleanness was so unclean that, that according to the law, she infected anything she touched and anyone who got around her. So she was told that she would have had to keep herself away from everyone. So, so not only was she suffering physically, not only was she suffering emotionally, but she was suffering socially. She had no social life. She had no connection with other people. And then on top of that, she was spending all of her money trying to be healed. The Bible literally says she spent all she had trying to find healing. Now we can kind of get judgmental on on the, the, the physicians, but can I tell you that, that they weren't just unwilling to help her. They were unable to help her. Even in our modern day, this sort of an issue can only be fixed with major surgery, even today. And we actually know if you get into the historical studying of the time, we have some records. There's actually a, a, a piece of paper, a parchment that we found um, from this time that had 11 different remedies for this problem and only six of which could you even remotely call something that may help and only if you believe in like hippie stuff. Like the other stuff literally, one of them was you need to go out into the woods and saw off a branch from a tree and then dip it into running water and then go in your house and shake it and then bury it in your backyard. I'm not a medical doctor. But I don't think that's going to help. And I also wonder how much she had to pay for that. <laughs> These people were, were, were unable to address the real problem. 
Can I try to pull this into our context a little bit? There are issues and things that you face that this world cannot help you with. It's not that they're unwilling. See, I think sometimes the world hears the church say that the world doesn't have the answers, and, and they think what we mean is we're, we're somehow judging their willingness. That, that's not the case. Me saying that Jesus, oh, come on, is the only place that you can find salvation, that you can find life and healing and wholeness, is not me judging the sincerity of people's faith in other things. It's me judging the ability that those things have to bring any salvation. It's like a drowning person who says, but I have great faith in this anchor that if I just hold on to this anchor, I will not drown. Their faith can be as sincere as possible, but how many of y'all know that anchor is not gonna float? The problem was that the physicians did not have the capacity to deal with her problem. The world and the system of this world is broken and fallen and does not have the capacity to get to the root of what is really wrong within us. It can't solve our problem and it certainly can't solve the problem of a fallen world. It just doesn't have the capacity. These physicians did not have the capacity to deal with her problem. Now, along these same lines, I do want to address something just on a pastoral level. 12 years she had this. That's easy for us to skip over. Eh, Suffer for 12 years. Okay, let's get to the part where she gets healed. That's really easy to do when you're reading a story about somebody else. Come on. Anybody here this morning? Really, really easy to just write off 12 years as a couple words in a story when you're reading about it from the Bible. When all the Bible is is, is, is some sort of Sunday school flannel graph and these people aren't real, it's really easy to just skip over that. But when you've suffered for 12 years with something, when, when you think you're getting better but you don't, when you've tried something but it didn't work, when you've invested all you have in hopes that maybe you can improve your situation a little bit and you don't get any better, but according to this, you only get worse. It's really, really, really hard to keep going. And so what I want to point out to us here is this, is I believe that our theology, and if you don't like the word theology, that's fine. It just means the, the system, the construct, the way we think about God. If, if our thinking about God, if our understanding of God, if our, if our framework that we, we understand the person, the character, the nature of God with only deals with healing and provision and abundance, it's going to be very shallow. If you don't have a theology, a framework, an understanding of suffering to tension your understanding of healing, you will have a very shallow understanding of healing. I know we don't like this at all. I know I'm not expecting any amens or response from this part of the message. It's like, mm, no, get back to the healing. Here's the problem. It's like digging. Has anybody ever dug a hole before? How many of you know the first three to six inches go really, really easy? I mean, it's, it's, yeah, I'll just dig through. And so what we do is, is we, we dig, and that's easy. Digging a little bit deeper, that, that gets harder, and there's rocks, and there's weird things we got to deal with, and roots, and, and buried little toys that some kid 50 years ago put there in the grounds dug over, and you got to dig around that. you got to go. And so what we want to do is we just want to dig up the top a bunch, Just find another verse about the goodness of God. Find another verse about healing. Find another thing about this. Ignore anything deeper 
And so we end up with a hole 20 miles long and three inches deep. But how many of you know you can't build a foundation 20 miles long and three inches deep? If you want to have a foundation in your life that enables you to not be shaken when everything else is shaken, the kingdom goes deep. Come on. There needs to be some depth there to go, okay, what exactly is God doing in the midst of this suffering? Does, are there things here, come on, that tell me about suffering? Or does this just have platitudes about, about healing and goodness and graciousness? I think the church, my, my problem with the charismatic or spirit-filled church, and I stand in it, not outside of it throwing rocks at it, and I, I stand in it. My problem for us is not our theology of healing. My problem with us is our theology of suffering. We just want to ignore it. No, 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 it's not of God. Really? Because there's a whole lot of it in the world if it's not of God. But if we, if we turn to the scriptures, we see this. We see Job, a whole book about a dude who <laughs> suffered. And what I find hilarious about the book of Job, I've, I've I've often wanted to preach a series on Job, except I would only have one message. Because here's the problem. It, we, we, we go, if you go to the book of Job, and I encourage you to read, read it. If you have time, read the whole thing in one sitting. And, and it's funny because I hear people quote and preach out of Job, and they preach out of the crazy garbage that his friends tell him. When at the end of the book, God's like, I'm going to kill all those dudes. And Job's like, no, don't do it. They're good guys. They're just stupid which kind of makes me feel better about myself. Um, and Job prays for his friends. The whole point of what Job goes through, and if you don't know the story of Job, Job uh, is, is, the, is the account of a, what the Bible tells us is probably the richest man on the planet at the time, the most blessed man on the planet. And in a matter of, of moments, he loses all of his kids, he loses all of his possessions, he loses all of his wealth. The only thing he's left with is himself and his wife. And then his body even begins to break down and he gets so sick and suffers so much internally in his own body that the Bible describes his, his state as his body's covered in boils and the only, the only comfort he has is a bunch of broken pottery around him that he uses to scratch himself with. I don't have an exact definition of suffering, but that gets in the ballpark. And I don't know how bad your life is, I don't think it's that bad. And he gets all the way to the end, all the way through the journey. He never renounces God. He never blames God. He never shifts this thing to say this is all God's fault and he stinks and life's horrible and God's not good and never mind. He gets all the way to the end and he tells us why this happened to him. And this is why I say, I only have one message and here it is. Job at the end of the book says, you know what? Before I went through all this, I had heard about God with my ears, but having gone through this, I have seen him with my own eyes. Can I tell you that there are things hidden in suffering? There are things that you will learn walking faithfully, come on, through suffering that you would never know if you did not go through them. And God loves you enough to put you through those things to reveal those things to you. But if you don't have a theology, if you just close your eyes, bury your head, and just, you know, everything's fine, you'll miss it. Can I push it even a little bit further? According to, to, to 
Paul in Colossians and Philippians were united with the person and the purpose of Jesus in the earth as we walk through suffering. Our theology of healing can only go as deep as our theology of suffering. So we need to understand that the Bible goes out of its way in this text to show us that she had suffered for a long time. So she's suffering. She spent all she has. She hears a report about Jesus. This is where it gets good. She hears a report about Jesus and something happens, come on church, on the inside of her where she says, if I can just touch his garment, I know I'll be healed. Here's where I get excited. Can anybody guess? She says, I'll be made whole. Anybody wanna guess what that word whole in the Greek is? Sozo. It's just a coincidence. Sozo, it literally means to heal, save, and redeem. She says, if I, if I can go and I can, I can touch him, but again, we talk about this, it's against the law. She can't, she can't do that. It's not right. It's not socially right. I wonder personally if, if, if this was her thinking, if, if she's, she hears the reports about Jesus and, and she finds out that he's, he's going through her part of town and she goes, okay, but the problem is everywhere else in the Bible, every, every story I've heard, people have to go to Jesus and they, they have to tell him what their problem is. And then, then he'll heal them. But I can't, if I tell him, my only hope would be that he he heals me before a rock hits me in the head because I'm breaking the law. If I break the law like this, I could be stoned, not the new legal way, the old way. And, and I could be put to death here. And so, so she devises this idea. The, the, the understanding from her of the power and the nature of Jesus is that, that it doesn't take a lot. If I, could just, if I could just make it through the crowd and grab a hold of his garment, I'll be, I'll be sozoed. He'll sozo me. He'll heal me. He'll redeem me. He'll restore me. It won't just be that I'll be, I'll be better. I'll be different. This will be gone. We've talked about this before. Sozo doesn't just mean healed in the sense of of your sickness is removed. The powerful thing about the word sozo in Greek is that it means that you're healed to the point where you were never sick to begin with. It's a different level of healing. It's a different level of restoration. It's a different level of salvation. It's a different, that's why in this they, they use the word whole. I'll be whole again. What's lacking will be made up. So she says, well, if I can get there and I can grab a hold of his garment, then I won't be breaking the law anymore because I'll, I'll, I'll be whole. And then I can sneak back to my house and live my merry little life. So she breaks the law. She goes out, she grabs a hold of him. And this is where her plan falls apart. Because the Bible says that Jesus recognizes power. I don't know how aware, I mean, he's God, so I get it. But I mean, his disciples point out the, the utter and total ridiculous nature of his demand to know who touched him. He's in a crowd of people, which by the way, on a side note, have to go here. Jesus, come on, is not a God who keeps himself far from us, but puts himself right in the middle of our mess. How good of a God do we have who doesn't, who doesn't remove himself, doesn't keep himself distant? 
but comes down. He, 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 he didn't, there's no sense, even as you read the story, that his disciples, I've heard some people say this, there's disciples around him trying to keep people from touching him. Where do you get that in the story? Their response isn't, well, Jesus, hey, we've been doing our best to try to not get people to touch you. No, he didn't have body men. By the way, side note, just because I know some of y'all are around some of these people, any person who claims to be a, a, a pastor or a leader or wants to, wants to speak into your life uh, fr- from, a, from a Christian leadership perspective but doesn't want people around them should be watched out for. One of my best friends in, in ministry is a guy named Doug Lassett, and, and he's a fairly well-known guy in the circles that he's around, and we used to invite him to come to our youth conference, and he asked me one time, he said, why do you keep inviting me back? You could get other people, and you, you have a big enough conference now, you, could, you, could, you, you have a big enough draw, and people know about it, you could get bigger name people. And I told him, well, I'll tell you right now, I said, the reason I ask you back is because when you finish preaching, and there's you know, hundreds of teenagers out there, you sit down on the front of the platform and you stay here until the last kid is done getting up to come and talk to you. So we invite other people and they, they wanna be kept in a back room until right before they preach, they wanna come out, they wanna just blurb out the word and then they wanna be ushered right back into their room and I don't want my young people being around people like that. Jesus doesn't keep himself away, he puts himself right in the middle of the crowd. So she comes and she touches him. What I want us to understand here real fast, and I don't have time to, to dissect this as much as I hoped I would because I'm rambling. My fault, not yours. Faith. Jesus says that faith, her faith, is what healed her. So she, she goes into this and says, if I can just touch him, then he'll heal me. And then she touches him and she's healed. And he says, woman, your faith has healed you. So I wanna, I wanna try really fast if I can. If you guys can do this for me, this thing is not working. Try this again. See if I can do this. You can just go to the last. Uh, yeah, sure, we can do that. Um, <laughs> this, is, this is understanding it from a Greek perspective. Um, I wasn't gonna even go here, but yay, I get to now. Um, this is an understanding of what the, the word in Greek faith means as it relates to our faith in Christ. In, in Christ, faith is a strong and welcome conviction or belief, catch this, come on, that Jesus is Messiah and through whom we obtain eternal salvation in the kingdom of God. That's what we mean by faith. So um, I'm gonna try this again, fellas. See if I can do this. We'll see here. Um, So so what I mean by faith, and trying to give us a a definition of what faith is, you can just put them all up. I don't have time to go through it politely. Um, Faith, this this is my working definition. I've had this for years. Working definition of what faith is. Faith is hearing God. So that's step number one. She heard the report about Jesus. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So it it took her hearing about Jesus and then she chose to obey. She didn't sit in her house and go, well, Jesus is a healer, so I'm just gonna sit here and believe that I'll be healed. There, There was a response that needed. When you hear and when your hearing is not just listening, but it's the hearing of faith, it produces within you a desire to respond in obedience to what you hear. She had to leave where she was to get to there. So, so she chose to obey. She heard about God. She chose to obey regardless, regardless of what we feel, think, or experience. How many of you know that when you, when you hear the report, when you hear, when the message comes, let's use the gospel, when we, when we hear the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus has triumphed over all of his enemies, come on. 
The good news that, that we have a God who, who though he died, he lives again. And through his death, our debt has been paid. And through his life, new life has come to us. And we can enter into a relationship with him that is a part of, of a new system, a new kingdom, a new, a new way of living. Come on, where, where through him and faith in him, we move from death to life, from sickness to healing, from lack to provision, from, from Adam, come on, to Christ. Where we leave this system of broken, busted, disgusted world and move into a kingdom of eternal light and the rule of our God who will never cease to rule and reign. When we hear that, it's really easy to get wrapped up in buts. But I've tried stuff before, but it didn't seem to work, but I've messed up too much, but I've failed too many times, but I've tried it. Instead of responding in obedience, regardless of what we feel, think, or experience, faith requires a response. We hear and we respond. James tells us that if you have faith and all you have is hearing faith but not doing faith, you don't have faith. So this woman's faith led her to leave everything she had and run to Jesus to break all of the, the social rules, to break all, all of those things and to run, come on, to Jesus. Now here's, here's the other big thing I need to point out in this text. She had a lot of stuff she could have gone to Jesus for. But what she said she was going to Jesus for was sozo. Was, was full and complete wholeness and healing. Did you catch that? She didn't go to Jesus and say, um, uh, Jesus, hey, um, I don't have any friends. Will you be my friend? Nobody likes me, everybody hates me. Will you be my friend? She, she could have, right? She, she needed friends, she had no friends. Jesus, I heard you're, you're, you're a friend of, of, of sinners and unclean people. Will, will you be my friend? She could have rightly gone to Jesus and said, Jesus, you, you don't understand. All these physicians, they've, they've taken all my money. I don't have any money anymore. And the new iPhone just came out. Can, can, you, can you spot me some money? Can you, can you give me some money? You, the, the, I read in the Old Testament that you're the provider. Can you give me some money? What I'm trying to say is this. Jesus is not interested in, in addressing your symptoms. He wants to get to the root of what the problem is. Jesus could have been her friend. Notice that when she touched him, he didn't become unclean, she became clean. He was not worried about her sin or her sickness corrupting him. Oh, church, I could preach on this for an hour. Why we're so afraid, oh, come on. Well, if we let those kind of people in here, yeah. It's like, it's like with Lazarus, Jesus Jesus tells them to remove the stone from, from his grave. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Get the stone out of the way. And they go, but he's gonna smell bad. Yeah, he's been dead for three days. He's gonna smell bad. But do you want him to live again? <laughs> yeah, but he's gonna smell bad. But if we start inviting those people, they might, have, they, they might not have voted for the right person. Come on, it's not about how bad they smell. 
Jesus was not afraid of her sickness. He knew the healing in him was stronger than the sickness in her. But he's not interested in dealing with, with, with the peripheral things. He wants to get to the root. We live in a culture that wants to put band-aids on broken legs. We live in a culture that wants to just, we got a pill for it. Just pop the pill and you'll be fine. Just, 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 no. There, there's a problem deeper than just the symptoms. Jesus is interested in addressing the problem that lies at the root of all that. And can I just get to the point? Maybe your real problem isn't even your physical need for healing. Maybe your real problem is for you to come to an understanding of what true and genuine salvation in Jesus really means. It doesn't just mean fire insurance. Well, you don't have to go to hell when you die. Look, I'm really glad I don't have to go to hell when I die. I'm super excited about it. <laughs> like really, really excited. People are like, well, we don't really know exactly what hell's gonna be like. I don't care. Well, I heard it's just, we just you just, you cease to exist. I don't wanna go there either, okay? Like, I don't care what it ends up being like. None of the descriptions in here seem like a place I wanna even visit. Even if the ticket was free, I wouldn't wanna go there. I'm excited about that, but can I tell you something? I'm, I'm just as excited about the eternity that I do have to look forward to, but I am just as excited about the fact that that kingdom and that reality, the heart of God is that that would become just as real here as it is there. That's why he told us, come on, to pray that way. On earth as it is in heaven. I'm excited about, and I'm not trying to get people like, well, you're getting into kind of weird theology. I'm just telling us to do what Jesus told us to do. If that's weird theology, I guess I'm okay with it. Suppose, since it's Jesus. What I'm talking about is Jesus wants to get at the root. Jesus wants to deal with the real problem. Her problem was not that she didn't have friends and she was broke. The problem was that there was a ramification of the fall at work in her life that was keeping her from her proper place as a child of God. Jesus wants to deal with those things. He wants to cut to the root of all of it. So when I'm speaking to us as a church about moving into the next season, this is what I'm talking about. We've got to hear you have to hear. See, this is, this is where, as a pastor, I don't like this. Because I can't hear for you. You have to hear for you. And you have to obey for you. See, we tried to fix this problem in the shepherding movement of the 70s, where we just said, you know what? I'll hear for you, and I'll tell you what to do, and you just do it. And I, I actually, to be honest with you, I totally get where that came from. Because I wish somebody would just hear from me and tell me what to do. It would be much easier. I could just blame it on somebody else if it didn't go well. But the problem is God wants to speak to you. He wants to, he wants to deliver his word to you. He wants, to, he wants to speak to you about your place and your position and what he has for you and what he would call you to do so that faith comes to you so that you have faith for you and you're not living, oh, come on, off somebody else's faith. You're living off your own faith because somebody else hears for you, then they might have faith for you, but you don't have faith for you because faith comes by hearing. And if they heard for you, then they got the faith for you and you don't got any faith for you. Did you all follow that? I'll have to listen to the podcast to figure out if that was right or not. 
<clears throat> faith, and then comes that choosing to obey, and then ignoring that word regardless, ignoring. It's just so hard because sometimes it's even what I think. Has anybody ever had that struggle inside of them? Paul talked about it. Like, I have a desire to do this, but there's a warring going on in my members. Can I tell you, that's living in faith. That warring that happens of, I don't know, but I know, but I don't know, but I know, but I don't know, but I know, but I don't know. That war is the tension of faith at work in your heart. The key is keep going. Can you... Every time an elbow hit her in the head, come on, get her off the flannel graph. Every time she's pushing through the crowd, every time an elbow popped her in the side of the head, every time somebody stepped on her skirt and she's going, I'm just trying to touch Jesus. She's pushing through. Do you think she had every opportunity to go, you know what? Never mind. Do you think this is the first healer she ever went to? She wasted all of her money on all the other ones. So I want to address what do you do when you go, I've tried it before and it doesn't seem like it's working. Or am I the only one that lives there? Man, I prayed before and nothing seemed to happen. I, I took my little belong card. I wrote on the back, I needed prayer. And they say they pray for me. I don't know because they don't podcast that. But they say they pray for me and nothing really seems to change. I went over to the ministry team people and they prayed for me and nothing really seemed to change. And I did nothing really, nothing really, nothing. I don't know what to do. I want to give you one simple thing. Rest in his love. What do I mean? I mean 1 Corinthians 13, 7. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is one of those times where um, modern English translations sort of suck. Because here's the deal. Okay, let me... It's really easy, again, to just ignore the 12 years. It's really easy for me to stand up here and talk about suffering like it's not hard. Listen, I get suffering is miserable. That's why they call it suffering and not ice cream, right? Like, it's not fun. We don't enjoy it. I'm not trying to make it out like we can, but what I'm trying to tell you is there is a way to rejoice even in the midst of suffering, and it's abiding in his love. Because... Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Don't have time to preach this, but let me just tell you this. All things is a horrible, miserable translation. Because if love believes all things, then love believes lies. Did you catch that, or do we just read over this like it's just poetry? No, this is Bible. This is truth. The all things, they, they do it this way so that it, it retains the original poetic uh, feel of its original language. But really, what that all things means is at all times and in all circumstances. So you could say that love bears up under all circumstances. Love believes regardless of the circumstance and situation that it's in. Love hopes regardless of what has gone before it and what might come after it. It still abides in hope. Love endures through the midst of suffering even when it doesn't seem like suffering is ever going to end. That's why I say abide in love. If we can rest in the knowledge that he loves me, come on he loves me, then from that will come the ability to bear up under it and, and, and believe God even in the midst of I can't seem to believe. My, my, my kid told me they don't want anything to do with Jesus anymore. They don't want anything to do with the church anymore. They don't want anything to do with any of this stuff. And they've just fully walked away. I don't know what to do. 
Rest in the love of Jesus because that will enable you to believe that even in the midst of their rebellion, his goodness will triumph over all things. 